0: Welcome to the Label Podcast, a show about disability, illness, and difference. I'm Lucy And I'm Alice. I'm so
1: much more yes. than what you
0: see. And we that's live low lives differently. Kaleidoscope identity, and this is who I am meant to be. I'm just labeled me.
2: I'm just labeled.
1: Don't forget in this episode i might swear lucy might cry and you can check out details of the trigger warnings on our website hi everyone welcome to yet another episode of the Labelled podcast with me and lucy wood hello hi lucy how hi. are you doing i'm very well thank you how are you yeah i'm good it's been a a rough week but then this morning i woke up and i had a a dance around my bedroom to little mix with the dogs yeah so that was nice yeah sort of starting to feel perhaps as though we may almost be seeing the end of winter and it may soon be spring
0: we can turn the heating off, and i'm not cold anymore (laughs)
1: i should i should still be cold i imagine because yeah. uh, i'm always oh, right. cold yeah but and then i um, complain
0: i'm too hot
1: yes are you yeah. are you one of those people where it's like you're as soon as as soon as it's like either end of the scale you're too mm-hmm. hot or you're too cold
0: oh i said to my sister the other day i'm considering getting aircon in my bedroom for when the heat wave hits which it will do and it will probably arrive in
1: june or earlier we had a very nice gentleman come out yeah. to our house on monday to look at and subsequently quote for yeah. putting aircon in yeah. three of the bedrooms in I mean, our house it makes because it, I my husband cannot handle it and i cannot handle another summer of him being such a miserable git yeah. because he's too hot hi dave <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, I am. Um, I I know it's not very environmentally friendly, but I mean, I am disabled, and therefore, I need to be comfortable at night time where I can sleep and rest. So, I am
1: going to go and sleep in a fridge. Hopefully, our difficulty is, is we can't open the windows in our bedroom because uh, our bedroom is like a loft conversion, and mm. the cat will a hundred percent get on the roof in the night. Yeah. And <laughs> my cat not is not known for his smarts no um and uh yeah I just I don't want to have to deal with that no. so um uh, I, and I said, like and I
0: I struggle to open the window because I am short and my arms are a little I'm a little tiny titch I'm the same size I'm no I'm an am I shorter than Danny De, I think I'm shorter than Danny DeVito that's how small I am no. so it's 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 not cute it's very difficult um (laughs) uh, so that's why i need aircon because i can't open the window because i can't reach so there we go so that's my plan i think over the next few months to try and see if i can get some aircon in my bedroom
1: okay well i hope you've saved up a considerable (sighs) amount of money yeah oh well you know i'm yeah and are prepared to have a horrible big box on the outside of your house well, if it's on the outside, I can't see it, come on. So. That's true. <laughs> Logic. Um, shall we stop talking rubbish and introduce our yes. guests? Yes, please. Okay. <laughs> uh, so this week we are being joined by uh, Peter Goadby-Watt. Is it Peter or Pete?
2: Um, Pete. You can call Pete.
1: me Pete, yeah. Pete is here today. Uh, Pete is a photographer um with an acquired disability and I just had to interrupt him uh off off recording because he was talking about some really interesting stuff and I was like shh we're we're not recording this you're gonna have to repeat it all again in a minute <laughs> so Pete do you want to introduce yourself tell us a little bit about you and uh, and yeah then we can pick up where we left off
2: okay yeah no problem um, hello everybody um, my name is Peter Gold Pete um, to all my friends and everybody else um, I'm 55 years old um, and as you said i was I am a photographer by profession um, and I got a acquired walking impairment um, in 2018 which I'll I'll refer back to in a short while. Um, I hated school as a kid. I was born in Coventry, moved to London, Wembley, and went to secondary school and hated school completely. Um, But I had a bit of a passion for drawing and and art and that type of thing. Um, And so did really, really badly in my exams, but did quite well in art. And so decided I'm gonna, you know you got to that point of career talks and all this sort of stuff and uh, I either wanted to join the RAF regiment or go to art college thank god I got into art college um and it was just amazing you know it's all the cliches about art college are true that it was cool and it was druggy and it was just it was the (laughs) 80s you know and it was a wild time it was brilliant brilliant time um, but that's where I discovered, I mean, I wasn't on a photography course. I was on an art course and photography was an element of the art, the art and design course, and I loved it. The first time I saw a print developing in the tank of developer, because it was all mm. negatives and, mm. and that type of thing, it was just magic. And it was a picture that I had taken an hour earlier and I processed the film and and then t- did the enlarger and up it came and it was amazing and i loved it and I, that passion has stayed with me ever since for that was 1987 might have even been earlier than that actually i, can't I was gonna say earlier. that
1: I, I, to give you some context that's the year that lucy and i was were born right, okay yeah
2: <laughs> well that was i was i was 17 sorry so, um whatever year so yeah um And so it was amazing. Um So I did four years at art college, um then freelance for about a year, which basically meant I was unemployed, um, <laughs> just doing bits and bobs. And then I joined the BBC as a, a photographer in their studio at TV Centre in Shepherd's Bush uh, for about 18 months. And that was great because they had such great kit and got to see, you know, walking just... TV celebrities walking down the corridor, and you know, like the presenters from Blue Ple- Blue Peter and that type of thing. You know, yeah. and it was just mad. It was great, um, but it was it was nineteen eighty nine, nineteen ninety, and so it was like, it was about eighty four. I was at art college. Mm. But to put that in context, <laughs> um, and and I was but on a freelance basis for the BBC, so I was a full time employee, but I yeah. was a freelance full time employee, mm. um, and it was the time of the first recession happened in ninety. Most people don't, or younger people don't realize. Yeah, everyone goes on about the recession of twenty fifteen or whenever it was. So but that, that was there was before, a recession though. in twenty mm-hmm. in nineteen ninety where interest rates went up to about 15%. I mean, it was mad. And, and the rumour was the baby sheep, see, we're having to get rid of loads of staff and this and the other. And I thought, Oh, my God, I'm gonna have to find a job, you know, another job. <laughs> and so I, I looked in the British Journal of Photography, which is like a trade magazine for the f- uh, photography industry. And at the back, there was a load of job adverts. And like, the first advert I saw was for the a forensic photographer for the Metropolitan Police, and I just thought, could I do that? I don't know. I've never. I had no idea what the job was going to be about. So I applied for it, got an interview, got offered the job. And when the job letter offer came through, I immediately thought, shit! Oh my to Sorry. What am I going to do about the, <laughs> no, what am I going to do about the BBC? Because I was really loving it. But I made the choice. You know what? The, st- the most stable op- you know, choice is going to yes. be to go for the Met.
1: There will always be crime that needs photographs Exactly.
2: And, <laughs> and I'll tell you what, it was the best decision I ever made. I, I ended up working for Met for 24 years. Wow. Um, I set up the first ever professional photographic training course in the Forensic Scientific Support College. Um, I professionalise I'm not blowing my own trumpet here, but I am. I, I kind of professionalised <laughs> photography from a training perspective because there yes. was no forensic photography training anywhere in the country at the time, no. let alone within the Met. It was literally, they employed photographers. And when I joined the Met, we had like 120 photographers. You know? right. And so they employed professionally qualified photographers who basically learn off other photographers on the job. Mm. and not the best way of learning you know no no probably
1: for a very intense like work as well i can't imagine it's the sort of thing where it's like on the job sort of learning when you might be rocking up at a crime scene yeah i can't imagine that's exactly easy easy work
2: no so that is a huge aspect of it is it's not just about the photography the photography is actually a very small part of it it's about dealing with crime and yeah. crime types and the scenes you're going to see. And, and also, also the, the fallout from it as well, you know, yeah. coming home again. And
0: yeah. you know, after you've had a day of taking pictures of things that aren't particularly the nicest things to look at. I yeah. often, you know, how, well, how that must affect somebody.
2: Well, the scope of the work was huge because it mm. wasn't just photographing crime scenes it was things like you know they had their own internal publicity department so we did all the publicity pictures for the met and we had a video team and so we would film do surveillance. we have massive surveillance department which i did quite mm. a bit of work with then so there was all those aspects of mm. policing and imagery that wasn't just going to a crime scene or going to a post-mortem but yeah. that was the sort of the bread and butter if you like of the the core activity of the department was gathering evidence from crime scenes and that type mm. of thing. Um, so I, I did that. And then I went to the scientific support college, which was at the police training college at Hendon. Um, and they already had a forensic training college, but the one aspect that wasn't covered was for, uh, photography and image gathering. So I was asked to set up a that unit, which I did. And I ended up having six full-time trainers and we probably trained. Over the lifetime, about five thousand people. Wow! In photography, that's amazing aspect.
1: That's amazing.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, no. Sorry, I'm just gonna say I I I think that um those kind of that that element of evidence gathering, particularly for photography, like the photography element of it, is one of the things that as somebody who like is a bit into true crime and stuff, is one of the things you don't hear so much about that I think is actually Mm -hmm. a bit unsung because yeah, that yeah. that evidence of capturing exact, this is exactly where something was or, you know, what something, mm. that's really vital really when important. it comes to building cases. Mm. Well, um, the
2: concept is to literally take the crime scene into the courtroom to reduce mm. the amount of people that have to go and visit the crime scene. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So you need yeah. to represent completely how things work. And yeah. that includes things like using the right focal length of lens. Yeah. To mm. show a witness viewpoint, because if you use a wide angle lens, being a bit technical here, the mm-hmm. viewpoint suddenly looks a lot further away. Yeah. So then yeah. it could be challenged in court. Well, how could the witness possibly have seen that person sitting in that car over that length of if, distance? Yeah,
0: because can you see it? No. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That kind um, of thing.
2: Pete, then, I, think, I, sorry, think,
0: I think you are my uh, kindred spirit because I when i started university i wanted to do photography i couldn't get into the dark room because it was up a set of steps that's how long ago it was now it's all digital um i also worked for the bbc not doing photography or filming or anything but i was a production assistant oh, wow! and i um also like alice have a very keen interest in like murder true crime that kind of thing and Find it very unsettling sometimes how quickly I can fall asleep in front of a murder documentary. <laughs> it's like not off. So uh, no, it's like this. is fascinating for me to hear all of this sort of stuff. It's um, mm.
2: it's amazing. Well, one really... of the you know the aspects we had to cover was yeah. not just about working in the organisation, which was the Met. So you mm. had to teach people radio procedure, the phonetic mm. alphabet, mm-hmm. um, what. police station code is each police station has its own two letter code um, and and all that sort of stuff but also the obvious ones of dealing with the types of scenes you're going to be facing yeah um and that has a massive impact because everything you see you you retain it's in the memory even if it's Mm. not immediately you 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 recover it it's still there Mm -hmm. in your brain rattling around Mm. um and the one thing that and I think television kind of represents it in a way is um, when you have, for, say, a murder scene, for example, you'll have a team of police officers investigating that scene. Yeah. But in, in back in the 90s, you only ever had one forensic photographer and that forensic photographer would work on their own yeah. because you don't want loads and loads of police officers mm. or, or whatever, anybody else in the crime scene whilst you're photographing it. Done. So they would all bugger off and you'd be there in the scene <laughs> oh, and it could be a massive pub with dead bodies in it or whatever. Oh. And, and I gave a talk once to a course of police officers that were doing like DVI training for disaster oh. victim identification. And they would go to a scene as a team and yeah. work together. And I said, bear in mind, the photography you get will only be on their own. So they've got nobody to bounce off. No. So when you decide to stop and have a cup of tea, mm. get one for the photographer and involve the photographer. Yes. Because they haven't got, until they go back to the base or, or go home, they've got nobody to offload to. And mm. afterwards, of the officers came up to me and they said, you know what? They'd never ever thought of that aspect of it. Because mm. everybody sees the forensic people turn up and they go, right, let them get on with their job but Mm. there's also the what what is that person taking on board that Mm. they need to offload Mm. because that's a big part of it you know and i know loads of of quite a few former met photographers that have had to be medically retired through um what they've seen and and that type of thing so it's Mm. it's it's hard you know i mean the last ever operational job i did was um the london 77 bombings yeah, and I mean that involved a, in not only the entire department, but people that we had trained from other police forces. We had to call them in, and mm. we knew that they were of a good standard because we had trained them. Yeah, so we knew mm. they would work the way the Met worked. Yes, um, and and that was horrific, mm. you know. Um, so that because we set up the uh, there was a big temporary mortuary set up down in um, in the city, an army barracks. And we worked there solidly for three weeks. Wow! And you know that you keep that with you, you
0: know. So, mm. um,
2: so, yeah, it, it you know, and I still have flashbacks for different scenes I've, I've witnessed, and uh, you know, people that are you know victims and that type of thing. Mm. Um, but anyway, so so moving on, <laughs> um, we get to austerity and in 2010 the met was before austerity really hit the yeah. met was told they had to save 600 million quid um and so gradually the 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 money saving measures were instigated and um and training was deemed one of those non necessary functions um <laughs> training is always the function that gets cut in any business mm. when they're trying to save money Um, there there was a recruitment freeze put on there. So I kind of get it, you know, so in 2014, I was offered voluntary redundancy. Um, But before that, I meant to mention that I was also, I chaired an international committee for Interpol for six years, um, where we were standardizing photography training across the whole of the EU. Um, And that was a real experience, love that. And, um, and I got to travel around the world, did, did different training in, in Athens for the prior to the 2004 Olympics and that time thing. So, mm. oh, yeah, it was a great job. I loved it. It was a career and I loved every minute of it. Do I miss it now when I left? No, I don't. I miss the people, but I don't yeah. really miss the work. Um, but anyway, so 2014, I took voluntary redundancy And I'd I'd already had serious health issues before that. because in 2005, I had a brain tumor, um, which left me with epilepsy. Um, And that is significant through what happened later on in life. So anyway, I left in 2014. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, but Neil wanted to carry on doing photography. So that's when I decided to really focus, no pun intended, on portraits. Because I love working with people. I just thought, you know what? I don't want to work with dead people anymore. I want to work with live <laughs> ones. And I just, I love, I love communicating with people. And that's why, you know, I, I could have done landscapes, whatever, but I really wanted to photograph people. And um, so I concentrated on on portraits and through networking, I got to photograph London Fashion Week and then became a regular at London Fashion Week and, uh, and then spin off from that doing fashion photography and do music gigs. So that was the kind of thing I'd do. But it was always me going to the subject, Mm. so my portrait style was what they call environmental portraits. So I would photograph somebody in their working environment, like if it was an artist, I'd photograph them in their studio with one of their paintings behind them, and and that type of thing. So it wasn't studio based portraiture; it was Mm. environment based Mm. portraiture. Um, And 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 you know, when you photograph in a gig, you you've got to if you can get on stage um, while they're doing the rehearsals, you've got to pick your way through wires and around instruments and that type of stuff. Um, so I was doing all that sort of stuff, but once I became disabled, I realised I couldn't do that. Um, so moving on from the brain tune in 2005, in 2018, I, 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 you know, I've had a lot of pain in my sort of back, my, um, Oh, what's, what's, the, what's the nerve in your leg sciatica Sciatica. yeah I, and i thought it was sciatica yeah um and i i was just I was doing a portrait in a in a, a music venue i was lying on the floor shooting up at this guy who was standing on the edge of the stage looking down and as i got up oh, i just felt strange i thought oh i've done something to my back anyway i put up with that pain for about three years so the pain was in 2015, got to 2018, and it was still bothering me to the extent that I couldn't sit down for more than 10 minutes without having to stand up. <laughs> and anyway, one day I was I was walking through central London, through um, Leicester Square, and, and it was wet, and I'd slipped. Mm. Um, and the pain was so bad, I couldn't stop myself from falling over. So I finally, you know, people helped me up. And I thought, oh, wow, I've really done something here. So I went for a, an x ray next mm. next day. And uh, they discovered a tumour um, a, a huge tumour on my pelvis. <laughs> um, and to cut a cut long story short, they um, decided to take it out at Royal National Orthopaedic Hospital. And as a result, it took with it the ball joint of my right leg, and also that right side of my pelvis and it was cancer and Oof. the cancer had spread to the extent that they had to take the ball joint off the top of the femur, which they do if they do a hip replacement. Mm. But they need a socket to put the ball joint in. Yeah. Right. Which is so how they your couldn't hip works.
1: They, But that's, they couldn't that's, put the new thing in. Right. No,
2: because the socket was gone as mm. well. And they can't mm. replace the socket bit. So now as a result, um I've, I haven't got the right side of my pelvis. Um, so that's that was you know massive, drastic of course it was. And, and when they did the histology, they found out that the tumor I had um, on my hip, on my pelvis was directly related to the brain tumor I had in 2005. Really? Yeah, which at the time they said wasn't cancer. And, but it, they realized when they did histology, that the tumor had metastasized from my brain tumor.
1: Wow! Mm.
2: So they immediately reclassified the brain tumor to uh, cancer, mm-hmm. um, solitary fibrous tumor. They call it now. It was. Uh, called Hemangiopericytoma
1: at the time. What, a, what um, a mouthful. Yeah, it's medical,
2: it's got to be, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah.
1: I'm really looking forward to doing the transcript for this episode and uh, <laughs> when our software has no idea what you've just said, me and right, Lucy okay, trying to take enough. a yes at <laughs> spelling it right, yeah. <laughs> We
0: might have to email you and say, just provide the spelling. I'll tell you, what,
2: just call it SFT, solitary SFT. fibrous tumour.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um,
2: um, So I was in in Stanmore Royal National Orthopaedic Hospital for four weeks um, during the hottest summer. And it's an old hospital. It was then no central heat, no air conditioning. You're talking about air conditioning at the beginning. (laughs) And when you were talking about it, I remember lying in that sodding bed (laughs) when it was like a heat wave. Yeah, I mean, it was so bad, the heat wave. When I left hospital in the ambulance, all the grass had gone brown, you know, on the fields going up the, the A1 um and it was horrendous and i hated it and oh was and i was high on morphine which i then reacted to and and i have an intolerance to a lot of medications anyway i break out and a quite bad skin full body skin rash quite an acute reaction um i had mrsa three times in 2006 and 2007 Um, Well, that was a result of when I got the brain tumour, you see, because it left me with epilepsy, I reacted to the anti-epileptic medication called phenytoin, and I had a classic phenytoin reaction, Um, but as a result, I got, my skin got infected with MRSA, that then became MRSA pneumonia, and then finally I had MRSA blood infection, and that's the MRSA blood infection is the one that kills people. Um, and most people 80% of the population are you know what medical stuff it's amazing the stuff you find out (laughs) um 80% of the population are carriers of MRSA
1: really yeah I knew that actually yeah but Um, only
2: 30% of the population are receptive to it like can can receive it
0: can receive it
2: yeah and the reason why MRSA is so prevalent in hospitals is because it attacks people that have got open wounds or where their immune system is very low. Mm. And that's why a hospital is the perfect mm. like, environment ground. for yeah. it. You know? yeah. And it's not that the hospitals are dirty. It's no. just, you know, patients and staff and, and visitors bring MRSA in yeah. because they've already got it. Yeah. You know, that's why, so I got it three times. And, but as a result, it left my skin very susceptible to infection and um, reaction. Yeah. So I had this, another classic reaction um, when I was in the Stanmore, which made it even more miserable because of the heat. And it was itchy and I was hallucinating because of the morphine and it was just a wild time.
1: I feel like this is a little bit like medical like medical condition bingo and you've really got a full card i was gonna say
0: pete Pete, how many how many of your nine lives do you have left
2: um minus three (laughs) um so yeah i mean so you know what i i know i've been extremely unlucky with my health but i've also been extremely lucky with my health because when i had the brain tumor for instance i was at the royal free hospital yeah. and in my ward there were seven other guys all with brain tumors brain cancer that type of thing all of them were terminal mm. and that's what makes me glad that whilst I had that I came through it yeah
0: yeah absolutely absolutely um and I, I know this is this is very very different to your circumstance but i went to school with a lot of my friends who also had disabilities some were a lot more severe than mine um and out of about 20 people i went to school with we've probably got a handful left yeah so um when it comes to things like aging and birthdays and things you know you get you get as you get older you go oh i can't believe i'm getting so old i never I never think of it like that. It's a privilege for me to get old mm. because what yeah. what right have I got to be miserable about turning an, like another year older when I've got I've lost friends who I loved dearly, yeah. um, who would love to be the age I am now. What right have I got to whinge about that? Do you know what I mean? So I I completely understand and, and get where you're coming from with that. I know it's a completely different circumstance, but I know exactly what what you mean. I think when when anybody
2: experiences either severe ill health or a near-death experience, Mm. it suddenly puts everything else into much more Mm. perspective. You know, one of the things when I, after I'd had the brain tumour, it taught me was, you know, all that stuff that I used to get really wound up about Mm. and used to take really seriously, it means it's irrelevant. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I, it changed the way I looked at life and the way I was at work. I think it turned me into a better leader and manager and everything like that because I had a lot more empathy for people and had time to just say, like, settle down, let's calm down yeah. and let's look at alternatives and, and find a different way of doing things. Yeah, and, and that was invaluable for me from that perspective. But anyway, so... um After I started to recover from my pelvis injury, which left me with a severe walking impairment, um, it left me with my right leg about three centimetres shorter, which doesn't sound like a lot, but boy, it (laughs) makes a big difference. Um, So I um, left with, Only been able to walk short distances on crutches, which I'm still at that stage now, Mm. but needing to travel, if I want to go a bit further, needing a wheelchair or mobility scooter, um, which I've got. Um, And so suddenly of course life was a lot different. It meant carrying things when you've got crutches, it's difficult unless you can carry it with your fingers or put something <laughs> around your neck. yeah. And of course I started thinking, well, that's it. My photography career is over because I'm not gonna be able to get on stage or go to London Fashion Week or, or go to somebody's studio, you know, the artist studio, whatever it was. Um, I mean, I photographed somebody on a beach down in Ireland, a, a photographer with his big, large format camera. And I just remember you know, having to get under electrified wires and across mm. rocks. And I thought, well, I wouldn't be able to do that now. So it made me think, right, that's it, it's all over. But then I started thinking, well, if I can't do the photography the way I used to do it, how can I do it differently? So this is what I've, this journey I'm now on is reinventing the way I do photography. So rather than, the world is my way so i can go anywhere and you know as long as i've got a camera with me it's very much restricted to a box i've had a box spill at the end of the garden um which is a photographic studio slash gym because it's (laughs) for my physiotherapy as well yeah so rather than thinking outside the box i'm now thinking inside the box yeah so i've created a box and so the way i'm gonna i do portraits now and it's it's mainly portraits that i do now is people come to me
1: and i think i think that's one of the things that's quite sort of interesting about the disabled experience not just for like i'm i'm not necessarily thinking of my own personal sort of so what what i'm sort of saying is i think it's it's interesting that you do get that kind of ingenuity and creativity. And yeah. and that, as you say, thinking outside the box does have to come with um, being disabled. And and it's one of the things that I'm I'm not great at, but one of the things that my husband is really good at is looking at a situation and going, well, you know, what, what kind of hacks can we put in here yeah. to make this yeah. accessible, to make it so that you can do this. Um, and I think that that's a real skill that, um, a lot of people don't necessarily have that. I think you're kind of forced to learn if you are disabled or you become disabled. I think it's it's interesting to to think about what your, um you know, what options are still out there for you. Like, I think it'd be really interesting to hear what, you know, what other people's sort of things are.
2: So yeah, you know, I totally get about the life hacks and it's amazing how you actually do something uh, I mean, I find because I've got one leg shorter than the other, I, I, I find myself balancing on one leg a lot. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> if I'm not having a shower, I'm on my good leg, as I call it, is just not standing normally, and yep. my bad leg is I'm on tiptoes. Really, the bad leg, yeah. And so, I've you know, I've had all the grab rails installed and this, that, and the other, but um. You know, using a shoehorn is, is so much more than just putting a shoe on, you know, yeah, it's, yeah, got, it's got a little hook so you yeah. can grab things with it. And, <laughs> you know, there's all these different ways around achieving what you would do differently mm-hmm. prior to. And I think, you know, I obviously. I, I know what it's like to do things differently because I have this I have an acquired disability, whereas I do know that is a different experience for people that are born with a disability. They only learn one way to do something well that that's would be my perception anyway um so but yeah life facts is you know you if you want to do something you find a way to do it it's about adapting isn't it yeah Alice were
0: you going to
1: say something at that point no no I'm sitting there quietly minding my own business not minding my own business I'm I'm listening (laughs) to what Pete has to say (laughs) that's all right um sorry I know it's unusual uh, for me to sit here quietly (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah i was like are you still there um i think i think um that's the thing being disabled you are kind of forced to look at the world slightly differently through a different lens i always say that i'm like bear grills if bear grills had his Foot chopped off. Yeah. Um, then he would have to do exactly the same thing. I mean, I wouldn't go as far as urinating on a T-shirt and wrapping it around my head to stop dehydration. <laughs> but um it is kind of like, and I obviously I'm in a wheelchair, so I I have to use both hands at all times if I want to move. um Which means I can't really carry things. So I've got attachments for my wheelchair that mm. I can stick stuff on. My my handbag when I'm out goes on the side of my chair, like some sort of um, it clips to my
1: chair. But I often use my mouth to carry things. Yeah, I was yeah. just going to say that. I spend, yeah. I always say to people, I spend too much time with dogs because I'm frequently carrying stuff in my mouth. Yes, yeah. Because yeah. when you've got a guide dog, quite often you've got to use both hands.
0: But it's like automatic. It, I don't even hmm. consider, shall I put this in my mouth? It just goes in my mouth.
2: Yeah, if you <laughs> want to move something from A to B, it's, yeah. in the, mouth. it's the only way to
0: do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. Well, you know make what, brilliant soundbite isn't it <laughs> don't, even <think laughs> right. yeah, don't even think about it goes it goes <laughs> I'll tell you one of the things that really um, still annoys me is when you rely on say crutches to walk short distances is slippy floors yeah Yeah. You know, other people that have seen me on crutches said oh I know exactly how what it's like for you because I broke my ankle once Is that? Like, no you don't because you can still put weight on that leg even if it's not foot. flexible yeah exactly but when you and the worst places for these are service stations on the motorway mm. you know the toilet is always right at the back of the service station and and they tile the floors with the slippiest tiles known to mankind yeah and every time you go and it's always greasy because <laughs> of the mcdonald's or whatever and and it's usually wet you know so you've got to you're dealing with wet slippy shiny floors yeah with little bits of rubber on sticks that are supporting your entire weight Mm. and I, i had a nasty fall um i was in ireland actually staying at a friend's house and he had wooden floors and i just slipped fell my full length realized i can't get my hands up to protect my face. So I literally fell my full length, landed oh, no. on my face. Yeah. Um, and that, re- and it was because the crutches slipped. Yeah. And so I then hunted for new ferrules. Yeah, you, know, you learn new terminology. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So ferrules are what goes on the end of a crutch. And I ended up buying these ones that are manufactured in China, as most things are, but engineered in China mm. and they have moving parts and they're, they're metal. And but they've got such a, a great grip level, if you like. Yeah, you can use them on wet surfaces, and they virtually don't move. And because they're they, the rubber foot is pivoted. Yes, you've always got a hundred percent of the flexi. foot on. Yeah, they're like flexi feet, except yeah. better than flexi feet. Mm-hmm. They're more movable than the flexi yeah. feet ones are. Yeah, and so I I ordered those, and they're like twelve quid per feral. Wow. And they worth take, it though, isn't it? Yeah. It worth it. And they take four weeks to deliver from China. You can only yeah. order them from China. There's no UK stockist. I should I should become the UK You stockist. should.
0: You should. Be, yeah. um,
2: and it's things like that, that you're always looking for a workaround to make life a little bit easier or to protect yourself a bit more.
0: Yeah. It's like, it's like for me, um, I always say that, like, just because something looks smooth and flat doesn't mean it is mm. it never hardly ever is smooth and flat unless you go to a sports hall where it's polished to within an inch of its life yeah so i could go to places like ikea is awful the 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 surface of an ikea floor doesn't look like it would cause a problem because it's flat mm. but when you push yourself over it it's got like little ridges that you can't see and yeah. so like it's yeah. const- you feel classic by the time you come out of ikea um and also, when you go to like new, where if somebody, if I go to somebody's house and they've had a new carpet down, I push one way and I go the opposite <laughs> direction. <laughs> yes. Um, and people just don't seem to. I, I, that's what why I think I never get travel sickness because mm. actually, even with my brakes on in my wheelchair, I'm never sat fully still. Like I'm yeah. moving <laughs> a little bit, so yeah. I never really, unless it's really bad, I don't really get travel sickness. But it's amazing, isn't it? Really, how. Um, I've I've never thought about things like flooring before until you said you know yeah yeah it's sleepy floors I mean sleepy floors for me when it's icy is awful yeah I, I you know I I don't
2: even go out if it's no. icy or anything
0: no. like that that people say oh yeah I know what it's had like to be in a wheelchair I we had to use one for six weeks when I, you know, broke my toe and I'm thinking you, no uh, and they non-disabled people will often say to me I don't know how you do it I get so travel sick and car sick Mm. and I'm like do you because but I think it's like that level I don't know if you whether you experience this Pete about you know being being, I suppose being stood on two feet feels different to being sat down and being pushed and so the sensation of everything's moving and I'm not Mm. must feel quite make you feel quite. Do you, yeah. you, you suffer with things like travel sickness when you were first?
2: No, I've 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 always been good traveling anywhere, anywhere, with, and it, the planes, ships, whatever. But yeah. one thing I have noticed um, since being a wheelchair user, even though I don't permanently need one, so I don't use it in the house, for instance, no. because I can get around short distances. Yeah. But if I'm going anywhere, I partly the reason I need it is not just to be able to get from A to B but it's because it's the only chair I can guarantee is comfortable. Mm-hmm. Because I don't have a right a right side of my pelvis is gone. Initially, I find if I sat down on the chair, I'd very slowly start leaning over <laughs> to one side <laughs> because most of my, the right side of my bottom, yes. my, my right buttock is, is gone. Right.
1: I suppose you don't think about how you, the sort of the way you're, your skeleton is quite vital in a lot of ways yeah. for balance and things. It makes you like
2: realize how important your pelvis is. Yeah. Because that takes all of your weight, doesn't it? Oh, and you're fully. finding gravity and it's the one thing that supports you. Yeah. You know, yeah. supports your whole body. Mm. Um, so, one of the things I did find which um, disturbed me a bit was being in a wheelchair in other people's company. That said, one of the things that you know since becoming disabled i've i've, I've got on you know use more social media i use less now than actually i did because it, it started to piss me off yeah because one of the things i'm not is i'm not anti able-bodied people no and there's a lot of with the disability disabled community there seems to be a lot of anti able-bodied people rhetoric going on they you know, like the phrase abled Oh, the able to do this and the able to do that, yeah, and I, I did, actually find that really insulting and derogatory. Yeah.
0: I'm a bit, I'm a bit uncomfortable using the able. Oh, the able are at it again. I, yeah, I don't really. I, I'm the same as you, Peter. I, I don't know what your feelings are, Alice, but I wouldn't say I'm anti non-disabled people or anti able-bodied people because sometimes, I mean, we as disabled people probably say daft things to non-disabled people it's just the i think and i know it's nervousness a lot of the silly questions that come out of people's and sometimes carelessness so that lady who said to you i've come over to you because i feel sorry for you was like you said alcohol fueled so when i am at a party i am always aware that there may be somebody if like if i'm meeting somebody for the first time who has been introduced to me and has never seen a disabled person before i'm always very aware that there may be towards the end of the evening some stupid questions mm. so i'm kind of braced myself for it but yeah. i never think to myself all oh, the able are at it again because that's like grouping them all as one yeah and i think by I doing think,
1: that i was just gonna say i think my feelings are is that there's a lot there's a lot of people who are legitimately very angry at society at large and i think that if you know i i would use the phrase the ableds are at it again absolutely but i would be if i were to use that phrase i think i would use it were i to be talking about say a new government initiative of some Mm. kind that has managed to, in one fell swoop, exclude or, you know, um, prejudice against, undermine the disabled community. Mm -hmm. Um, That's when I would be like, oh, fucking Abel Dorada again. (laughs) Um, I think for, I think I can absolutely understand the, the, the issue that you take with using it against, individuals because yeah. yeah or yeah or sort of against lay people i feel like well um, you know
2: people yeah. never fail to disappoint so individuals or there are always going to be those individuals that say things deliberately or are deliberately not responsive to your needs for instance. oh yeah but at the same time i think there were people that genuinely say things because they feel they need to say something people aren't comfortable in silence no. And people often say things because they feel I've got to say something. And and a friend of mine, when I first became after my op and everybody knew I was gonna be, you know, life was very different. A mm. friend of mine genuinely said, Oh well, look at the look at the good side of it. Look at think about all the box sets you'll be able to watch. Because <laughs> you're gonna be stuck at home all the time.
0: Oh god. And
2: he actually <laughs> said it trying to find something positive to say without yeah. really thinking about what it actually sounds like. Yeah. And I, So I kind of think a lot of able bodied people say things without really thinking. And maybe that is the issue. People don't think before they speak. But then yeah. you could throw that, you know, accusation against anybody, couldn't you? Yeah. People saying things without thinking through the consequences, of what it is they're saying, regardless mm-hmm. of whether it's about disabled people or, or somebody supporting a different football team who knows but yeah
0: I think as well that disabled people can can put their foot in it I am totally. I am constantly saying to Alice during a meeting when I'm showing her like something that I've created or designed or something I'll go Alice can you see that and I think and she'll go nope <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah uh, she's used to it now though I think now she just goes yeah just like she's <laughs> just humor me but I am I constant especially if it's like about a disability I don't know there is that always that awkward bit of I think being part of the disabled community is very interesting because on one hand there is you've got a shorthand of you don't have to keep explaining why you find something difficult because the person even if they haven't got the same impairment as you can they get it they get it they just get it it falls into place and they go yeah yeah I know what you mean rather than well because I find this difficult because actually I have to use both hands to move and mm. all this kind of thing. You don't have to have that explanation. But at the same time, I sometimes feel like if I'm meeting somebody who's got a disability, I know nothing about or something like that, I, there is like for the first sort of say 10 minutes until I get the measure of somebody where you go, can I ask that question? Mm. Uh, uh, to really because like, I don't want to upset anybody no, nobody no. nobody wants it. but at the same time you want to make them feel comfortable with you so there we- but that isn't isn't that just getting to know somebody anyway of course it is and I yeah. think
2: also too many people see it's a pendulum swing of mm. we've gone from a society that doesn't care about offending people to a society that worries that everybody is going to be offended by everything yeah. And you need, we need the sort of the pendulum to swing back in the middle where you can ask questions and you can say things out of innocence almost. Mm. And, and people can challenge what you've said and you don't, don't get offended by them challenging you and they don't get offended by what you have said. You that's see. different to people being openly aggressive and unkind and it's the one thing i hate is unkindness there's no there's no room for it in the world no
1: there is no room, no i would want to counter that a little bit i think because i think that there are people for whom there are questions that are going to be upsetting or offensive and we do live in a world where you can just google it and so i think i do feel a little bit like perhaps there is that's that being hypersensitive about other people being sensitive you can overcome that if you've got a horrible morbid curiosity curiosity about oh, a question yeah. just mm. just google it and then you don't have to offend anybody and you don't have to worry about that and you've managed to satisfy yourself and because I think that, that you know, it, it strays into, we we will get to, you know, that there, there are people who, like, are sick of being asked the same questions over and over mm. again, and, and mm. that it is about, you know, I'm not necessarily offended by people asking me about my disability, but I'm so bored by it yeah. that, yeah. like... At this point, what I'd really like is for somebody else to go away and do the legwork mm. so that I don't have to constantly be challenging them. And so, yeah, I can understand why there might be people who are like, oh, she's really sensitive about her disability. Mm. It's like, because, mm. you know what, sometimes I am. And, yeah, I think I think
0: both Alice and I have lived with our disability. We, we were born with our disabilities and so i can complete i get and there are days where i feel so sick and tired of the and sometimes you know it's coming that's the thing you're you mm. tired you're tired you've had a bad day and you're like i know that this idiot for want of a better phrase. Yeah. Um, who has been skirting around the issue for 25 minutes now is going to ask me a question, and I just cannot be asked. Yeah. With yeah. It. You feel like giving them out a frequently asked questions form read this. Go away and read this and come back to me when you finished. Um, because it, there are days where just existing is exhausting,
2: absolutely, yeah.
0: And um so I appreciate. Sometimes, I mean, I have worked in jobs before where um, the the person's been told previous to me meeting them that I have a disability. They've sort of said um, we've sort of referenced it in a conversation, and then two weeks later we've met up again, and they go, "Oh, oh, I, I googled some bits about your disability. Can you tell me, like?" which bits because i've got cerebral palsy so cerebral palsy is a massive beast you can either Mm, mm. you know there's lots of ways it affects you so i will then have to go well like that that applies to me that doesn't apply to me that applies to me Mm. and that is a little bit easier than them going making wild assumptions about i can't talk i can't feed myself i can't do that and often as well i don't know about you alice but i will instead of them asking questions I will if something crops up and I'm like, I can't do that, I will just mm. tell them I can't mm. because there is no point in me struggling to do something no, to no. impress somebody to go, I've done it. <laughs> if <laughs> yeah. I can't do it. Do you know what yeah. I mean? So if they'll say, Oh, Luce, um, we just need you to do X, Y, Z, and I'm like, Well, oh, I can't do that. So I'm terrible at maths. I mm. told this, I've said this many, many times. I am awful at maths. So I will do things with numbers and then go, can somebody just check that? Yeah, and, yeah. I know it's going to be wrong, but can you check that? Because I am—I'll um, have a go. But I know it's going to be awful. It's going to be mm. it's going to be way wildly way off. Um. So somebody checks it for me. So uh, if somebody goes, can you do X, Y, Z? And I can't. I just go no. Mm. Gonna have to get mm. somebody else. And it's not—it's not, it's not me shirking my responsibility. It's being realistic about what you I can know your limitations do.
2: exactly, whatever they are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I actually find I'm I, I'm bored of talking about how my health is.
0: Oh, so bored.
2: And it's just like, you know what? There's more to me than my health and my disability. There's, Absolutely. I want to talk about photography and I, or I want to talk about music or films yes. or whatever it is. And I don't want to talk about why I can't do something or how difficult it's going to be for me to do something. No. I don't even want to go there. And it's not because I don't want to touch the subject. I'm just bored of it. You Know because I, I live it, you know. Yeah. I don't
1: want to, it's not to interesting anymore. Like, no, no, ask exactly. me, how are you? How, how's how's your eyesight? And I'm like, it's the same, yeah, yeah, still crap. Carry on, yeah, yeah. 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 It's, like, it's like, it's like, you know, how's how's your boring everyday Wednesday afternoon? <laughs> how's yeah. your nose? How's yeah. your nose, Greg? <laughs> yeah, still big, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: For Mm. legal purposes, I don't know anybody called Greg or anybody called Greg with a big nose. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I I, and I am also sick of being asked, or or the first question off the bat is, "Nice weather we're having, isn't it?" Yeah. Stop asking me about the weather. (laughs) Do I look like Michael Fish? Um, I just yeah. The weather
2: down here is no different to the weather
0: up there. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, it uh yeah it's uh, it's I I would much rather you want to be about you uh, say what what's your favorite kind of music what's your mm. favorite you know have you seen that latest film yeah please don't say have you seen that latest film because it's got a disabled person in it and how do oh. you feel about representing oh, yeah. like yeah. just ask me what my favorite film is or yeah. ask me if I want a drink or from the bar because yes mm. please are you paying mm. <laughs> i was going to say why ask the answer is always yes
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Yes, please. Um, because that's that to me is far more interesting than the other stuff I've got. Go if you think about it. My, mm. I'm just sat in a chair with wheels, and when you break it down like that, you think, well, what, what's the big fuss about? It's not, mm. you know. Mm.
1: Oh yeah, I I would be quite happy if we rewound this conversation like twenty five minutes and just went back to talking about all the crime scenes that you've seen. Yeah, like, that's what I spent the last twenty minutes going. Yeah, that's very interesting people. Yeah, but... that's all It'll be Yeah, I was yeah, yeah.
2: It's
0: because that's the thing. We we live really, we live full and rich lives. It just so happens that we mm. are we have to negotiate our lives slightly differently and what I always say is it makes us interesting at dinner parties invite us us to dinner parties don't ask about our wheelchair make sure the room's accessible and we're we're well away
2: yeah absolutely but you know talking about um interested in photography and and then we've talked about adapting our lives and everything um in in my process of moving from just surviving to thriving is very much based about my photography, mm. and how I have to change the way I do it, in order to be able to do it. And I heard a really good phrase not so long ago, which it's kind of sums me up now. It, it hasn't always done but quite recently is I haven't come this far to only come this far. Yeah. So I, I thought in order for me and through discussions with my wife in order for me to Fully use the garden. We thought, well, we're going to have to make it more accessible. So rather than there being steps, we've we've had ramps put in and part of a big landscaping project. Mm. I mean, it's cost a fucking fortune, but hey disability isn't cheap, is it? No. Nope. Um, don't get me onto that one. <laughs> um, but then you know, we had um, I had an old workshop, like a, an old wooden shed, basically. It was quite a big one. but I used to. Do you know, manly woodworking bits and bobs in, you know, and mm. screwing bits of wood together and stuff. And of course I couldn't then do that. And um, but then that back wall started rotting. So oh god, we're gonna have to replace it. And then and it's a lot of this has been driven by my wife. She said, well, why didn't we build it into something that you will find useful? Mm. Like, yeah, and it was when lockdown had happened. So I wasn't going to the gym for my physiotherapy because I got referred to my local gym, an NHS referral, um, and they are trained to deal with people with disabilities using the different machines and everything. So she said, well, why didn't we build it like a gym type thing? So I said, yeah, that'd be, that's a good idea. Um, and then she also build it, create a photographic studio, because I was ready to sell all my kit and just give photography up. And it was my wife that said, don't sell your camera kit, wait six months and if you still feel the same way in six months time then by all means sell it um because i went for a very dark depressive state um about 2019 for about a year um but anyway so I, i i've now built this studio and i've got things like the lampstands I've had got wheels attached to the bottoms of the lights. Amazing. So that I can push the light sands around. It's like, a, like a rather than, line. <laughs> rather than lift them up and plant them down somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You
2: know, and so all these little things that I have done, life hacks, I have done to adapt my photography to my current situation. And and you know, and to and to make matters even worse, I couldn't believe it. In twenty nineteen I I the vision in my right eye went completely blurred. Oh, so what? had to go to Morefields Eye Hospital and they discovered I'd got a tumour in my right eye as well. Oh. But thankfully, yeah. wood. touch wood, lean <laughs> <The> over, <laughs> touch the
0: door, don't um, fall over. <laughs> yeah, whoa, crash.
2: Um, they, it's not a cancerous tumour. Um, it's uh, but the tumor. It's, it's a microscopic tumor, but it's right in the middle of my central vision, oh, and it was leaking. It was leaking blood.
0: <laughs> oh, Pete! so oh, God.
2: It's Full house. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so I had to have photodynamic therapy at Moorfields Eye Hospital um, yeah. to basically. Um, seal the tumor so that it would stop leaking which it did it was successful so now my vision has partly restored in my right eye but of course the right eye is what I would look through the camera to shoot with yeah and the first time I tried to take a portrait having got this tumor I thought shit I can't can't fucking see anything. It's not focusing because my vision is blurred. The picture could be perfectly shot, yeah but I can't you see the know shot. Yeah, so I had to then. Well, I'm going to have to use my left eye. And for a photographer that has all their life, it's like, oh, I'm going to have to start using my left hand, even though I'm right-handed. Yeah, you know, a a, a photographer or an artist, whatever equipment they use, has their way of working. And I have always shot looking through yeah. my right eye. And I suddenly had to start looking through my left eye, and I suddenly thought, "God, my eyesight's been really bad in that eye for years. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah, which> how much <laughs> <for> everything is. <laughs> yeah. Nothing to do with the tumor. It's just how I've had really yeah. bad
0: eyesight in my right eye. I,
2: yeah, and I realised that I, I've had this tumor for years. It just it just moved. Wow.
1: Oh. To yeah, the I, central I, vision I day, sometimes because yeah? I've got like a bit of a, an emo fringe. I will sometimes I move it out the way, and I'm like. Oh, that's better. <laughs> 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 uh, it is. I mean, um,
0: yeah, it's amazing. Like, because uh, we've uh, my mom and dad. So where I live, I grew up in um, in a semi-detached house. Um, and when I got to the age of like fourteen, my mom and dad decided to buy the house next door, so that when I wanted to move out, we could got the house completely uh next door and I could live next door to my mom and dad but still have that level of independence. I got a bit older and we realized actually my level of independence is probably as good as it's gonna get. Mm. We'd had some terrible tests so we knocked two houses into one. Um when I was about six, yeah, six, because I had the lift put in. My mo- my dad went round the house and lowered all the light switches so that they're like my height so all of the lights which is in our house mm. on our level with everybody else's hip but my finger yeah um yeah. and uh we had the lift put in and it just it just things like i mean even using the um we have to call her her indoors the amazon home speaker oh yeah knows, yeah she'll start talking um so that was a revelation yes.
1: yeah
2: yeah well, it's, no, it's
0: it'll set too loud every... like yeah but when people listen back to this episode it'll set their thing yeah off. that's true sorry guys <laughs> <laughs> sorry um but uh yeah to so having things like that why i didn't so the lights my lights and everything mm. um are all what's it controlled um that is Sounds really like helpful. you're just
1: throwing little orange crisps at your light switch yeah. until it turns the light. There, got it, I got it, I got it. That's it. Number fifty six. Finally got it. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that's forty four packets of crisps or whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's so like technology comes on. So I mean, I when I was a kid, I used to love watching Tomorrow's World because it gave mm. me so much hope about all oh, that's oh, going to be really tomorrow's good.
1: Tomorrow's World I
0: loved it loved it um it, uh, you know technology i basically what i want to do is become iron man so i don't have to lift a finger like the, the suit will do it for me oh,
2: oh that'd be perfect for me
0: <laughs> wouldn't it yeah i think so who's your
2: favorite who's your favorite <laughs> avenger
0: uh, iron man because he's, he's got good good taste in music i think You listen to ACDC very loud, which is something I do a lot. Um, The louder the better, if you ask me. But yeah, so I would quite happily be be Iron Man, please.
1: I am, they're doing the research that they're doing into uh, quote unquote curing my eye condition is kind Mm -hmm. of twofold. They're doing a lot of stem cell research, but they're also doing a lot of like, tech research as in putting they've done things where they've installed cameras into people's eyes and then connected the camera to your brain and things like that um and uh, a, the first thing that when my husband um dave told his his friend that that like that might be a possibility for restoring my sight his friend just went oh my god you'd be sleeping with a cyborg
0: <laughs> <laughs> why if somebody like hacked into the
1: camera though what it from my brain yeah well like, it's not know. like it's not wi-fi enabled have a camera <laughs> no, it's it's well, just, there's, there's a camera and then there's a wire that comes out the side yeah. of your head and like go there's they've uh, like the uh i don't know but it's yeah. it's not uh, they it's not like they've done there's something called an argus that they've done um an argus argus <laughs>
2: yeah you'd be oh. able to get them in argus
1: <laughs> and, um,
2: and other major retailers
1: no named argus after the uh greek nymph who had all the eyes that got put in the peacock's tail
0: right okay. go and
1: go and read stephen fry's myth mythos it's interesting right
0: um, well, that'll be a fabled episode will it
1: i hadn't thought of that but anyway um so he uh, it's it's a thing um where literally there were people who had no sight and then they were able to discern faces and stuff for the first time in 10 wow. years wow. um and of course it's the sort of stuff that gets loads of military funding because mm. like mm. you could overcome like night vision and stuff like that with fancy implants so yeah um it's it's a big a big potential possibility
2: that is amazing though isn't it yeah. so it's like gene gene therapy and the, you know and tailor made medical treatment rather yep. than this is the drug we give you to fight cancer or whatever yeah. and it is
0: and it won't it won't completely cure your ailment but it'll make it a bit easier for you that mm. kind of treatment um my nan god bless her she always used to say to me i reckon Lucy, you'll get to an age and i'll just put a chip in your brain and i was like what to do to do what with, with <laughs> To control to control which bit,
1: Dan? Like to, to work the microwave? Yeah, like yeah, I can, I
0: can, I can. To tell the
1: telly to turn on. Yeah, I mean,
0: to be quite honest, I am always using, losing my remote control in my bed when I'm lying in, te- in bed watching, lying in the telly, lying in bed watching the telly. I lie there and I'm like, where the hell is the remote control? um yeah oh, you so, see
1: you see her indoors turns our tv on and off for you See,
0: her. i need to get a new telly that is wired up to my alexa don't i really mm. um if anybody
1: would like to sponsor the podcast and give me a new telly <laughs>
0: yeah. please do um, I,
1: yeah, I i'm i'm just going to put in there that we're going to spend it on the podcast before we buy her a new telly so uh it's the key research there purposes,
0: is for, research purposes for the podcast
1: I was going to say the key there is that you have to give us a lot of money so yeah. that we can spend it on the podcast and then have leftovers for
0: your TV. <laughs> Listen, I never went swimming with dolphins when I was a kid. I think, like, it all adds up, doesn't it? When you get to an adult, they like, go, you hear a new TV. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think technology, are, it does kind of make my, it blows my mind a little bit when you think about, like, what's going to be, what, what, what technology will be around for people Mm. with disabilities in say, 20, 25 years time. And how it will help, you know, because like you go to you go to like, um, trade shows and things to do with disability. There's one in particular that's held in Birmingham every year. Nadex, we go, I go with work for for work purposes. But you walk round um, that arena. And there is so much tech and Mm, vehicles mm. that, you know, you can sit in your chair and there's like a camper vans that are like Winnebago's that are like the size of three-story building.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, And you think, if I had all of the money in the world, if I won the lottery and I could buy all of the stuff that I really, really wish I had, it wouldn't matter that my legs didn't work. It wouldn't Mm. matter that Alice's eyes didn't work very well it wouldn't matter that your leg was one short, you know one leg was shorter than the other because we could just wire our houses up so that we didn't have to do anything
2: Mm, Uh, mm.
0: and that that is also it's a amazing but b quite disheartening at the same time you go home and you're like can i go get a scratch card please yeah (laughs)
2: yeah and you know what therein lies a, a, a much bigger underlying issue is the cost of being disabled. Yeah, Yeah. you know, not just the emotional cost. but the fine literally the financial cost. I mean, you know, since becoming disabled, or have my walking impairment, the money we had literally spent 10s of 1000s of pounds adapting the house and the garden and building the gym, I can't get in the bath to have we've got a, a shower over the bath. Mm. upstairs i can't get in there to have a shower or a bath so we've had to build a wet room on the ground floor yeah and there's no funding for that you know you literally if you've you know you're always being advised to have a pension and to save have savings and everything if you've got more than two pound fifty saved there's no grants or anything for you you have to fund everything yourself Mm. and we we looked into funding for this wet room disabled access wet room. And yeah, we got a discount on our uh, council tax. Um, but th- basically, the council said, well, because you've got savings, we, we won't fund it. What you've got to do is spend your savings. And then once you've not got any savings, if you come back to us, we'll fund it. It's like, well, I'm going to spend the savings on getting a wet room. So there'll be nothing for you to have to do for. Yeah. Me. Yeah.
1: So that you don't have to sit around and wait for your wet room that you need yeah yeah What it's like it's like oh okay i'll i'll just spend my savings on crap i don't want so that you'll pay for my wet room
2: absolutely which Uh, is what i'm
0: which is what i'm having to do at the moment i'm having a new lift put in Mm. and in order to make sure that my money is kept low i'm having to to spend money on things that i don't need or don't particularly you know would would not have
2: bought it yet maybe mm, mm. um
0: just i mean even sense.
2: things like riser recliner chairs yes, and honestly. mobility scooters yeah one well, mobility scooter costs two and a half grand and my chair costs two and a half grand and it's just like you know they rely on you having an almost an endless pot of money just to be able mm. to live and mm. that i find actually quite offensive yeah um really when you, especially I'm... when
1: you couple it with this idea that the that disabled people can't work and so they're all on benefits and yet we're cutting benefit funding left right and center mm. Mm. and you know it's a it's a so uh, where where how do you expect disabled people to fund the things they need if yeah. they can't if they can't they can't work because society all thinks that they're incapable and so they're all on benefits. But we're cutting benefits and you, we're not funding things yeah, because we then, expect people to have their own, like, savings.
2: Yeah.
0: And then if you do need a benefit, so PIP, it is traumatic
2: mm, for yeah, the people trying,
0: yeah. to, trying to, you know, I, I have had to... Almost play up to the disability because my disability, some like the pain I'm experiencing mm, and what mm. I'm able to do on a week by week basis, day by day basis, can, can fluctuate. So, yeah, you know,
2: yeah.
0: if the assessor comes around and I'm not having an awful day, do you know what I mean? I can yeah. do, I have to play up as if it's almost like not play up to, not play up, but almost make it like i'm having a really bad day yeah yeah do you know so when you
2: have to to overemphasize your condition yeah just to prove it
0: yeah because i'm not lying i'm telling you that that's what it's like when my days are really bad but i'm having to sort of tell the show so Mm. when i went when they came around to the house i didn't put any makeup on my face because on a really bad pain day my hands are playing up i can't put makeup on my face Mm-hmm. On days like today, I'm pretty well put together, and I've actually managed to get out of bed on time um, to be able to, you know, put put makeup on my face and look half presentable. Um, mm-hmm. So the day they came around, I didn't I didn't put any makeup on my face. I didn't mm-hmm. wash my hair because on days where I'm, I've got no energy, I can't I can't I physically can't face yeah. washing my hair because it's yeah. it knackers it knackers me up. Yeah. So I didn't wash my hair. I didn't. I didn't have my nails painted because, again, that's an energy thing, isn't it? Going out to have your nails done is mm. an energy thing.
1: Yeah. I told. I. I told you what um, they said to me when they refused. I have. I had to appeal the decision about my pip because, mm. uh, in their response, they said, "We think because you've had your disability for." more than 30 years your whole life you will have come up with ways to manage and cope and so we don't think you're Just eligible i was uh, like disgusting. oh so because i have been blind since birth then that means i what i i don't need help yeah. when i'm cooking in the kitchen because i suddenly i i've learned how to see fire without being able to see If <laughs> do you think hey, I'm <laughs> i <know>. am <laughs> daredevil
0: <laughs> so i'm my man and alice is daredevil um yeah it's just but you, and, and you feel awful when you're doing it you feel really mm. awful but if yeah. you don't then you're doing yourself out of an extra 200 300 quid
1: you know the money that, that you need, yeah, like exactly. it's not yeah. like this is our fun money. It's not like nope. we're spending this no, on shoes and that's holidays. Right. And yeah. if you have
2: like a mobility car, a mobility car, half that money goes anyway, doesn't exactly. it?
1: Yeah.
2: You know, um, I mean, when I um, was coming up for my renewal for Pitt, I started to write down um like bullet point evidence. I hate, that. I hate it, but not ever. The evidence consisted of lists of the aids that I use so shoehorns and Mm. hand grab rails and where they were and and then I went on to how my life is different to what it was prior to my disability so on a daily basis I need my wife to dress my lower half I need this to happen and before I realized I'd written four a foot sheets of a four paper just on how my life had changed yeah from what it was prior to. So I had that reference. Um and, and it and that's and that really brought it home to me, you know, how much change we all or how much adaptation adaptation we have to do on a daily basis without even really thinking about it. Yeah. I mean you getting having that lift put in, that's huge. Yeah. You know, that's a kind of um house adaptation most people wouldn't even consider no doing. But it's a necessity.
0: Yeah, I had that lift. Yeah, and the only reason we're changing it is because I had that lift put in when I was six, Mm. seven. I'm now 34. Yeah. Uh, And the bloke came round to measure up for the new, you know, the new hole where the lift's gonna go. Mm. And he went, I think this is the oldest lift in a house in Staffordshire. Yeah,
2: yeah. And I'm
0: like, do we call the paper? What do we do? Do we (laughs) just (laughs) like...
2: Um, Do I get a certificate?
0: <laughs> yeah. Open a museum. Yeah. It like, <laughs> is. Um. And. <laughs> <laughs> but it's 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 all the upheaval, isn't it? Really. Yeah. Of, you know, having so I'm. I'm. I've said to my mom that when they come to fit this lift in, because without the lift, I cannot get upstairs or downstairs. Mm. I am. Just mm. I was going to say, I how long is
1: it going to? How long's the taking out the old one and in the installation, the new one gonna be? You're gonna be trapped downstairs for a week? No, three days apparently. Oof.
0: But so what I've decided to do, the mum was like, Oh, you can sleep on the sofa and I was like, and what about a shower? Mm-hmm. Uh, and what yeah. And she goes, What well, give you a shit? Well, I was like, No, 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 no. Because we've got builders, not that I am um, washing myself for the builder's benefit. But also, also the fact that like there's going to be noise. I am very sensitive to loud noises, so it makes me jump. I've got a startle reflex. It's a something right. thing. If a loud noise, unexpected loud noise goes off, I'm like all over the place. It looks like somebody's plugged me plugged me into the electricity bucket <laughs> If I've got to contend with startle reflex not washing, not sleeping properly cause I'm on the sofa. I By day three, I am gonna be grumpy as anything. Mm. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna to go to the Premier Inn, which is in the next town, which is about 10 minutes away and stop at a Premier Inn for three days. And then even if I come home during the day and just like potter about mm. downstairs, I know I can at least get a good night's sleep and have a shower. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Rather than you're not finding... you're not treating yourself to something a bit fancier, like a spa for three days.
0: Well, I might do, but I don't know. Well, yeah, I'll see how I'll see how clo- I'll see how close this, close this spa is. Let um, me know.
1: Let me know when it is. We'll uh, we'll have a girls' three days. Okay, in the spa. spa. Yeah. yeah, let's do that.
2: And just think of all the box sets you'll be able to watch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> watch.
0: <laughs> but that, that's the thing that, you know the the bloke came um from from the company and uh he said you will have to find adequate accommodation and my was like she can sleep downstairs it's fine and i'm looking at my mum going no no i'm <laughs> <laughs> sleeping downstairs like some peasant what do you think i am like like a stray cat she's fine it's fine we'll shut her in the kitchen overnight yeah. it's fine she'll sleep in the car it's fine <laughs> Um, she can lie out in the back of the car but no it's so i think that's what we're gonna have to do and it's pretty short like whilst i'm look because and the only reason they're changing it is because it's so old still works the lift still yeah. works um what the lit the door on the lift i'm doing the action of closing a door there for it only
2: works if you've got the bell hop to press the buttons <laughs> <laughs> it, it's sat out it comes with its own bell hop which yeah. is a guy with a white beard and a yeah.
0: little hat to be fair honestly <laughs> i could do with it um because um the door stopped like it, clicked, it like, dropped, dropped one of the on its hinge. about <laughs> i might do that actually all oh. dogs sat in the lift with me um <laughs> but yeah the, the door dropped on its hinge so the door wouldn't right. shut properly it would shut uh, but it wouldn't right. shut properly so we, we ended up calling the council at like five o'clock which is always inconvenient isn't it really you know because nobody's there <laughs> and um they, they, the 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 from the council rang back the day next day mm. and he said we I was a bit concerned because we couldn't find any paperwork for your when we initially put the lift in I was like well, that's because it's twenty six years old yeah it's probably um, long term long haul storage <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> covered in dust try try the try the photocopy cupboard. um and he said I think you need a new lift because we can't find any parts for that lift. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, okay. Bit nervous because I'm still using said lift at the moment Mm, while we're trying mm. to get everything sorted. And then my mom said to the bloke on the phone from the council, I'd completely forgotten this. So 10 years ago, it broke, like seriously broke, really badly broke. And the the wires snapped and I was stuck downstairs for about a week, it was awful. Uh, And the bloke came to fix it looked at it and went, Yeah, the part I need, uh, I need to order, I'm going to order it and come back. But in the meantime, I will glue it with superglue and come back and fix it. That was 10 years ago, and he's never been back. <laughs> 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 and I'm thinking to myself, Oh, God, it's held together with super glue every time I get in. I'm like, please just let me down. So I only come upstairs and downstairs when I absolutely definitely yeah. need to. Yeah. I, I can't just wander up and downstairs whenever I like. Willy really. really I, yeah. I'm thinking, I need to get I, to I don't know.
1: I, I'm i a big fan of super glue. My head's held together with super glue. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Why? Are you going to tell some medical story here? Uh, yeah, so I was, I mean, it's not that medical. I was four. Uh, yeah. my mum picked me up from school was before i had my diagnosis and uh somebody yeah. uh, had left a full builder's skip in the pavement on the pavement and i ran into it and cut my yeah. head open Ooh. And, Ooh. uh my par- And blood everywhere and all of this my mum took me home they called the emergency doctor he came out and looked at it and he went oh it's it it's a head like head wounds bleed a lot it's 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 not that it's not as bad as it looks it's just going to be a bruise um when i was still (laughs) bleeding several hours later my dad took me to the emergency room where they moved my hair a bit and very gently pulled and you could see my skull oh wow and so they super glued my head back together
0: but yeah no i'm not very good with like guts and blood and stuff so you know you say so you couldn't
1: say have done a peach job then? No no I mean nah.
0: it fascinates me but I'm like oh. <laughs> I have to kind of do that thing where has it gone yet has it gone yet it-? tell me when it's gone is it gone <laughs>
1: like. Well listeners at home Lucy did have her hand over her eyes Just <laughs> audio format loose, remember? Yeah yeah I forget. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's strange though because you're talking about you couldn't have done or seen what i saw mm. but when you're photographing like you know whether it's a dead body or a post-mortem or something like you've actually got the camera between you and what you're seeing yeah so it's almost like viewing it on television That's and you, because you're concentrating on the camera and the photography you, you're very distanced from it mm. whereas i
1: i just i just would have thought like you know your other senses your sense of Smell, for example. Oh, yeah,
2: yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, it's all you know, a crime scene is a, is an assault on all of your senses, yeah, whether it's the sound, the smell, the sights, you know. And, um, and, and I'm not, I mean, I, yeah, every photographer remembers their first post mortem, you know, and I, you know, and it's quite a usual thing for people to faint, mm. um, because your brain is in shock because mm-hmm. it's not used to seeing somebody being cut open. No. and 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 so you you know what it is you're seeing but your brain doesn't yeah and your this is like, why this? Yeah, well yeah. this is why people often go pale and fa- and and feel sick before they faint because what happens is when your brain is in shock it pulls blood from your extremities and stores it in what's called the portal vein until it works out where that blood is needed because that's your body's defense mechanism right. is it sends blood to an injured area so when your brain is in shock, it doesn't know it's just something you've seen because that, that shock may be caused through a cut, for instance. Yeah. Mm. And this is why people faint because they're, the blood is drawn from their faces, for instance, they go pale and they feel sick mm. and then they'll just fall over like a sack of potatoes. Um, and then I remember the first post-mortem I went to and I said to the photographer that was with me, I said, gosh, it's just weird to think that guy was probably in the pub last night. And he looked at me and he said, you cannot afford to think like that. No, no. Because if you think of that person as, as a having person, a life, yeah. you'll just, it'll just drive you crazy, you mm. know? And, and I, I, I heeded those words um, for the rest of my career. You Have know? You and he was absolutely me? right. Um, I, I almost did on that actual occasion. And, and I could feel myself like shaking and, and swaying. And I thought, right, I do not want to faint in front of no, everybody. No. So I, I'm going to have to go outside. Just get, mm. I, I pretended I was going to the van. So, and got some fresh air. And once that had gone, I, I came back in and it was fine. But I've seen plenty of people faint in, particularly post-mortems mm. and some very seasoned detectives who it's not their first murder. It's not their first no. post-mortem. And therefore, fainting can happen to anybody at any time. Mm. It's not just a case of you're inexperienced, therefore. Yeah, that's it's physiological,
1: isn't it? Yeah.
2: Totally. It's nothing to do with experience. It's all to do with. It's your body just,
1: going, No. <laughs>
2: no. Yeah, it's how your body is on that day. Yeah. You know.
1: But I imagine What's there the is probably also an element of the. There are more traumatizing cases. Mm. That, yeah. I guess, but I suppose they're the ones that you don't necessarily have that visceral, immediate reaction to. They're probably the ones that you carry home with you yeah, afterwards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. There's, there's some
2: that, you know, I still, I can picture as if it was only yesterday. Um, some yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, one thing I've always said to, to people who don't haven't done that this job or that job is, well, no matter what you see on television in dramas and things like that, it's never as bad as real life. No, Real life things happen behind closed doors that you could never even imagine as a creative writer and write as a script.
0: No,
2: There are such bizarre things happening in reality mm. that no matter how horrific the drama is, the television drama is, it will never be as bad as what happens in reality. Yeah, you know, and 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 I and if, you know, and I mean, it's a terrible indictment of humanity, I suppose. But then, if you only ever see the bad side of humanity, you're only going to think that humanity is bad. But this is why most people actually live quite normal lives because they don't always see the worst side. They see happiness and kindness, and 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 they see the true reality, I suppose, of what mm-hmm. humanity is. Whereas people that work in the emergency services or only ever deal with the shit side of life, that's what their perception is going to be from what life is like anyway.
0: Yeah,
2: and You find that a lot with retired cops and people like that. They they mistrust everybody Mm. because they assume everybody's a criminal. And of Mm. course, reality is the majority of people wouldn't even think about doing anything criminal, let alone being a criminal. No,
0: no.
1: I just think everything you were saying there, Pete, it's is just absolutely fascinating. And and I could talk about it all day, but we should probably finish.
2: Absolutely. <laughs> and, and you know what? I need to go for a week. <laughs> <laughs> I've sat here like a, a good person, but I desperately need to go now. So,
0: Pete, do you yes. want to come to the pub with us at some point? We'll get, we can do this oh, properly.
1: Definitely. <laughs> definitely. That would be, I would
2: love to do that. That would there be fantastic. Go. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Anything you want to plug or anything like that before you go, Pete? Um, You know
2: what, I suppose my main, um, I've got a website, but the main social media platform I use is Instagram. And I only really put my photographs on there. So that is Instagram is at PGW Imaging. And my website is www.pgwimaging.com. Um, and that is, and and I am creating, I'm starting a new photographic project now called the sort of the overarching project is called red door. And it's because when people come to my house, I tell them to look out for the red door because we're one of the only houses on the road. that has got a bright red front door. And so it's it's become the red door project because people never used to come to my house. I'd always go to them. Um, And the sort of Spin-off project from that is called New Perspectives. Something that Lucy was mentioned just before um, we came back on air was being in a wheelchair. Does that change the way I, I not necessarily do my photography, but view things to photograph? And in a way, it does because you know you, I'm at a a constant height, whereas when I'm before I became um, walking impaired. I was able to climb ladders and lie on the floor and get those angles. Whereas now I'm the angle is what it is. So for me, it's a new perspective on taking photographs and also perspective is a photographic term as well. So it's a bit of a play on words. Um, so, um, it is new perspectives, which is my new way of photographing things as well as the actual viewpoint. Um, so, um, yeah, so I've got my first booked portrait coming up on the 22nd of February, which is a, a, a trombone player. Um, and he wow. is... Um, I'm doing a portrait of him with his his favourite bone, as they call it, um, <laughs> for his... He's, he's doing an album, so he wants to use it for his album cover. Amazing. Um, so that'll be my second album cover I've ever done. Um, <laughs> and I've got... Um, about four or five other portraits lined up at the moment, which they're mainly sort of people are like artists and other photographers and, and that type of people. Um, I don't tend to do the sort of the family or the family Christmas portrait type <laughs> pictures, you know. So I don't do the high streets style portraits. I do more sort of professional portraits that people can use on their websites and that type of thing. So yeah, I've got the first one coming up on February the twenty second. And it will be the first time I've actually shot in my new studio with my lighting rig. So it's going to be a massive learning curve for me, as well as hopefully producing some great images. So I will post them on Instagram Yeah, um, brilliant. towards the end of February, early March, probably.
0: Fantastic um, people. Good luck with it. Thank you. Um, and we will link to everything you just talked about there in your episode description of the podcast and of course we will let you know when your episode is out so you can share it with the world
2: thank you very very much (laughs) and I just want to say thank you guys for not just for today but for hosting this much needed podcast you know anything that that gives us a platform to talk about our lives not just from a disabled person's perspective but just our normal lives because we are bigger than the disability aren't we yeah. so i just want to thank you guys for hosting this it's it's brilliant i've really enjoyed it and i've really looked forward to coming on here as well
1: fantastic so, oh, it's thank been you a sandwich. pleasure pete thank you thank
2: you, thank you. thanks yes. and uh, best of luck with your future recordings
1: thank you and uh for all of the listeners out there if you've enjoyed our episode you can show your support by uh doing a review on apple or spotify i know i always say it but those are probably the best things you can do for uh showing your support for the show because it helps new listeners find the show so please go off and do that it'll take you like four minutes do it now now quickly before the credits roll do it all Go. right all right all right all right
0: i'll do it <laughs> <laughs> um, we've also got a brand new well i say brand new we're, we're taking a new approach to our newsletter so uh, if you want to sign up uh, to that you get bonus bits of content uh and obviously updates of what's going on behind the scenes because we work incredibly hard to get the show out, out and uh, in your ears. Um, you can sign up for that on our website. There's a big banner that says, uh, sign up for our newsletter, click here, give us your email and your name and we'll do all the rest for you. It's completely free as well. So do that too.
1: Righty-doki, uh, I guess we'll see you guys in a couple of weeks. Yeah. All right, tatty bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Labelled Podcast. If you like the show, you can rate, review and subscribe and you can follow us on social media at LabelledPod.
0: This episode was edited by Adam Hall. Our music was by Maisie Crunden, and we'd like to thank the rest of the team involved.